Let's jump into this new series. Two millennia have passed and Jesus has still not returned. It's a real deal. This is a significant issue here. Is he coming or will he never come? The Apostle Paul's letter to the Thessalonian believers, it actually inspires us with great hope. Hope for the first century, but hope also for the 21st century to eagerly anticipate his second coming. We might not know the day, we might not know the hour, but we know this for sure. We need to be ready. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to delve right into First and Second Thessalonians for answers that will sustain us in the waiting. And this morning, I want to start with this, this series with a message that will introduce you to the church in Thessalonica. Scripture comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 10, and I want to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 10, the scripture is on the screen. Would you join together with me in one voice, and let's read this together. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for this opportunity to start something new, to read new books of the Bible, First and Second Thessalonians. We thank you for the Apostle Paul in writing this, and, and I pray that as we read about this church, God, you would inspire us to be like this church to have a great hope in Jesus' second coming. That though the time has passed and 2,000 years we're still left waiting, we know that this is because of your grace and your mercy upon people. That your desire is that none would perish and all would have everlasting life. And so people are at the point of decision today. They need to choose whether they will believe in Jesus or whether they will reject Jesus. We pray that in these days we would experience a great harvest, the, ch the church would grow, that people would come to faith, but Lord, I also pray that you would make us and form us and shape us into the people you want us to be, that we would live out our faith, not just have a faith that's in our minds, but a faith that is active in our lifestyle, that the people would know that we are your disciples by the way we love, by the way we walk, by the way we talk, oh God. And so, Father, shape us to be your disciples, your people, your messengers in this world of hope. And so, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to begin this new series. Lord, I ask for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to come. Lord, I don't want to preach a message unless your empowerment is there through the Holy Spirit. 
it'd be null and void. It'd just be meaningless words. But if your Holy Spirit comes and descends upon myself and the people here in this place, then we will have the ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. So Holy Spirit, speak. We're ready to hear. We're ready to listen, to read, and to obey. So we thank you for your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You may be seated. When people hear your name, what do they say about you? In other words, what is your reputation? Is it a positive one or a negative one? Do people know you are a Christian or not? And when people hear the name Waterloo Pentecostal Assembly, what do people say about us? In other words, what is our reputation? Do we have street credibility? What do other believers from other churches say about us? What do unbelievers say about us? What do our neighbors say about us? We should be concerned about this because you and I are actually a part of the us. We are the body of Christ. In Proverbs 22, verse 1, King Solomon said, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. The deacon qualifications in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, these leaders were to be people who were well-respected. In the elder qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, these leaders were to have a good reputation with outsiders. You see, a poor reputation brings disrepute to the name of the Lord. But a good reputation, it brings honor to Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to share with you three observations drawn from the text from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 10, about the reputation of the church in Thessalonica in regards to who they became, with the hope of challenging you today to carefully consider who you are becoming. The first thing that we see in the scripture, the first point I want to make is that you became imitators. You became imitators, and we see this in verse 6. Scripture says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of suffering, severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we don't get to choose the conditions of when we receive the gospel or how we receive the gospel. God can meet us in the highest moments of our lives, but more often than not, he tends to meet us in the lowest moments of our lives. And the Thessalonian believers were living in the midst of what is described as severe suffering. Their choice to follow Jesus was not well received by others who were living in that city. In particular, the Jews in Thessalonica were particularly hostile to Christianity because they were jealous. They were jealous of how this movement was growing. They were jealous about these people. And they rounded up some local thugs, and they formed a mob, and they started a riot in Thessalonica. In Acts 17, verse 6 to 7, we learn that they threw the city into turmoil by saying, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. See, Christianity was more of a threat to Judaism than secularism and the imperialism of Rome. 
They welcomed the emperor, but they rejected Jesus. They accepted a foreign king in their lives, but they missed the king of kings in their lives. So shortly after escaping from Thessalonica, the apostle Paul and Silas, they traveled to a nearby city called Berea. And when compared, Paul described the Berean Jews, the believers there, the Jews, as being more noble in character than the Thessalonian Jews. In Acts 17, verse 13, we read how the Thessalonian Jews created trouble in Berea. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. You see, the, these are, there are always some people who are diametrically opposed to the people of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will always be people like that. And they make it difficult for people to come to faith. They will even travel from place to place to hinder someone from hearing the word of God being preached. Perhaps you came to Christ in a season or in a scenario similar to these Thessalonian believers. Maybe you were excommunicated from your family because of your faith. Maybe you were rejected by all your friends. Maybe your home, the city, or the country was hostile to Christianity and you needed to flee from that nation. I want you to know today that God has given you many new brothers and sisters. They are here in this place. We are your family. He has given you spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. And while the gospel of Jesus Christ was rejected by some, it was welcomed by others, including many of you. In becoming Christians, the Thessalonian believers were imitating the apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas, aside from just imitating their Lord and Savior Jesus. And we must look back to see the way in which they received the gospel from these men. In verse 5, we read about several traits Several characteristics that the Apostle Paul and his companions, they embodied in their witness of Jesus. These traits went beyond mere words. These traits were a demonstration of power. Now, do not be mistaken today. Words do matter because words communicate truth. But power is also very important. They talked the talk. They walked the walk. Apostle Paul was worthy of imitation because he was not like the other Jewish teachers or the Greek philosophers whose message was only heard. His message of Jesus Christ was to be experienced. To every hearer, to every person who hears the gospel, you don't just hear information and accept truths. You experience the power and the presence of Jesus, and it changes you forever. That power was rooted in the Holy Spirit. It resulted from deep convictions. So the same Holy Spirit that was at work in Paul's preaching, Paul's proclamation, is the same Holy Spirit who is at work in the Thessalonian believers and giving them new birth, making them a new creation in Jesus. Let me be clear today and say that the word imitation does not mean a fake or phony version. You know, we are to imitate people who are true, genuine, authentic believers of Jesus. We're to imitate somebody. We should have somebody in our minds of who we're imitating. 
And we need to be like the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas who spoke and acted in the power of the Spirit and they operated out of these deep convictions of who God is and what God has done. So let me ask you today, whom have you been imitating? Whom have you been watching? Who have you been copying, watching, and seeing? You know, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. We should be imitating something or someone. Surely the answer is Jesus, but let's not forget the spiritual leaders or the mentors who play a significant role in our lives. Because if you're imitating them, then they should start to see those traits in you. Do people see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you? Do people hear that you are a person of deep gospel conviction? The Apostle Paul's communication with the Thessalonian believers was similar to his communication with the Corinthian believers. There's many parallels between these two books. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, the scripture says, and this is Paul, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. It's not the way we usually envision Paul, is it? You think this guy, he's so eloquent, he's so smart and studious, he knows the truth. No, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's the truth. Second point this morning is you became a model, and we find this in verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You see, we cannot stay as imitators forever. At some point, we're going to have to cross the line, and we're going to have to decide to become worthy of imitation. You know, it's the same thing with discipleship. We cannot always be disciples. At some point, we have to move and become disciple-makers, So collectively, the church of Thessalonica became a model for other churches. And I truly believe, let me say this today, that WPA is called to be a model church for other churches even here in Ontario. I really believe that with my whole heart. It's what I see in the Thessalonian church, and it's what I believe should be true of this church as well. I love maps. I love traveling. You know that already. So let me help you get your bearings in the biblical geography embedded in this text. You know, those who receive the gospel must also live out the gospel in a particular context. You know, Macedonia was a Roman province. Thessalonica, also known as Thessaloniki, eventually became the capital of this Roman province of Macedonia. Achaia was the southernmost part of mainland Greece, which is on the Peloponnesian Peninsula. So biblical Macedonia is now known today in our modern maps as Greece, extending into the southern regions of Albania and North Macedonia. So to whom could they serve as a model? According to Acts 17, verse 1, the Apostle Paul had traveled throughout many different lands, and he traveled to Amphipolis and Apollonia to get to Thessalonica. These were some of the cities along the way. According to Acts 20, verse 4, the Apostle Paul was joined by others along on his missionary journey, 
And the scripture says several men were traveling with him. They were Sopater from Phyrus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. Just an aside, my, my grandfather's name is Trophimus. That's a funny name. Since half of these people mentioned are from Macedonia and the other half are from Asia, we can understand here that the Apostle Paul was first and foremost talking about this church having a provincial influence, that that church should have an influence in Macedonia. And the Thessalonians would be a model to the believers in all the small churches in Berea and Amphipolis and Apollonia and maybe even as far as Philippi. Achaia, however, was a neighboring province, meaning that the Apostle Paul was also talking about having an interprovincial influence, having an interstate influence. And the Thessalonians would be a model to the believers in the churches then in Sencria and in Corinth. And if God wants us to both have a regional and a provincial influence, then today, friends, we need to understand that we are a model to other churches. Churches not only in Waterloo Region, but in Perth, and in Wellington, and in Hamilton, and in Brant, and in Oxford Regions. These are neighboring regions. A model for all churches in western and eastern Ontario. A model for churches in our neighboring provinces of Manitoba and Quebec. But you know what? All across Canada. That's the impact that God wants to have by using a local church. The Thessalonians needed to come to terms with their, their local influence that they had as a church. By model, God was not talking about replicating a particular style of church just in another geographical context. That's not what this is about. This is not about the biblical impetus for today's popular trend of having multi-site churches. This is not what it's about. Instead, God was talking about characteristics that make up a healthy church. What makes up a healthy church? What does it look like to be a Christ-centered church? What does it look like to be a gospel-saturated church? What does it look like to be a scripture-guided church? Hello, Bible engagement. First and second Thessalonians. What does it look like to be a spirit-empowered church? Pentecostals. You know what? God does not necessarily want more churches. Now, before I finish that sentence, let me just say, we need to plant churches in unreached places, in places where there is no presence of Christ in the place. Now, we live in a Bible belt in many ways. Kitchener-Waterloo is a Bible belt, and thank the Lord for that. Many churches, many options. But let me say this. God does not necessarily want more churches. God simply wants healthy churches. Seriously, if we can do anything as a church, let us strive to be this, a healthy church. Churches grow when they're healthy, Naturally, you don't have to do anything. The Lord blesses it. The Lord says, I can trust you with little, now I can trust you with more. Just be a healthy church. A healthy church is the type of church that comes alongside other churches in order to help them become more healthy. They help in the revitalization process. So I want you to ask yourself this question What are you modeling? What are we modeling? 
Because people are watching us carefully in order to know if we are who we say we are and if we do what we say we will do. Thirdly, today, you became known everywhere. Verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Come on, isn't that good? That's a good verse. Your faith, let your faith be known everywhere. See, there is a musical effect that is called reverb. And reverb is the reflection of a sound that is made. It's very different from echo because echo is a movement of sound which returns back to its source. But reverb has to do more about the space in which the sound is made. Now, some of you might have been inside an acoustically engineered setting like a church or a theater. And you often will hear people say, just clap your hand once and you'll see the sound reverberating for more than one second. You know, Christians are to be are people who release a sound. They release a sound, they release a message that reverberates throughout the earth because Christianity is meant to be a global movement. I believe in the local church and I believe in the national church, but let me tell you this, we are part of a global church. In doing so, we make God, not our church, famous throughout the earth. I don't want WPA to be famous. You know what comes with fame? A lot of trouble. I don't want to be famous. Mark my words. As big as this church gets, I never want us to become famous. Put it on the record, okay? Somebody take minutes of this service. I don't want that for us because it's not about us. Never was about us. It's always about him. You do this not only by giving to missions. You do this by being on mission. Your sound reverberates from Kitchener-Waterloo to throughout Ontario, throughout Canada, throughout North America, and all around the world. And who knows who will be impacted by that sound, by that message. You know, here we are. We're live streaming right now. And anybody from anywhere in the world can tune in to what's happening here at this postal code on this address. It's crazy. And I, I can tell you, we have people tuning in from different countries throughout the week, and they test, tell us and let us know where they're tuning in from. And there's people from around the world who we don't even know. We're releasing today a sound from KW that reaches throughout the whole world. It's a message about Jesus that reaches throughout the whole world. And who knows who will be impacted? You know, the Apostle Paul, he told the Thessalonians that their faith is known everywhere. Where is everywhere? Somebody tell me where everywhere is. <laughs> everywhere is somewhere, but it's also anywhere. You know, it has no boundaries. It has no limits. It has the possibility of reaching the least reached people and the unreached people groups of our world. It, it, it goes where you cannot physically go. It accomplishes what only God can do. That's everywhere. And this is exactly what happened with Christianity as a movement. That what started with Christ and his 12 disciples 
grew to 120 people gathered in the upper room, and then exponentially multiplied to, a thou- to multiple thousands in the book of Acts, and then to millions, and maybe over the course of history, billions of people over the face of the earth, over history. That is the reverb of the Christian faith. What exactly do we want people to know everywhere about us, about the Thessalonians? Now, there are two things in particular that the Apostle Paul had reported that others had heard about the Thessalonians. The first is this, the Thessalonian believers had turned to God from idols. You know, when somebody comes to faith in Jesus, that deserves to be heard all around the world. Seriously. Now, we say heaven rejoices. I'm sure heaven does. But do we rejoice? In the Apostle Paul, he elaborated on this in verse 9. You know, the polytheists, the people with many beliefs and many gods, had become monotheists. They had belief now in one God. And what exactly have you turned from? What is your testimony? What religions have you turned from? Is it Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or Sikhism? And it goes on and on and on. What spiritism have you turned from? Whether it be witchcraft or magic or ancestral worship, depending on where you come from. What unbelief have you turned from? Maybe you're agnostic. Maybe you're an atheist, but you've turned to believe in the living God. See, when people come to faith in Jesus, the world should hear about it. So may our sound be one that tells of our faith in Christ, that we turn from idols and we've turned to the living God. And the Thessalonian believers had faith in the second coming of Jesus as well. And the Apostle Paul elaborated on this in verse 10, and the Son of God is not finished working. Yes, his work on the cross, it's a finished work. It was complete. It it did all that he intended to accomplish with it. But God is not done working. You know, the one who was crucified and resurrected and ascended will indeed come again. Do you believe that today? Okay, some of you, this is not good yet. We got to get, by the end of it, you'll get it. Okay? The Thessalonians were eagerly awaiting the second coming of Jesus. And it is because of his great mercy that today we can identify with them because we are still waiting for Jesus to come again. You know, the early church believed Jesus was coming again in their lifetime. And I want to challenge you to believe the very same thing. That he's coming in your lifetime. Now, even if that doesn't happen in your lifetime, you live in a state of preparedness. You live in a state of readiness because you do not know the times and you do not know the hours. For to remove the urgency of the second coming of Jesus is to remove the gospel's future orientation. That there's something more to come. That God's not done yet. That God has a big salvation plan. That God is going to make all things new again. The world should know that Christians anticipate the soon arrival of Jesus. This is a key tenet of our faith. People might think we're crazy, and that's just okay. I don't care what people think. I want you to ask yourself this question. What is known about you everywhere? What is known about you everywhere? May our sound be one that tells of our hope in Jesus Christ, that he is coming again soon. 
And this is not just the Thessalonians' testimony. This is not my, just my testimony or your testimony. This is every believer's testimony. Every believer should believe that Jesus is coming again. Every believer should be able to say that I've turned from idols and I've turned to Jesus. See, our God has saved us from sin. And we'd like to stop there. That's often where our testimony ends. Our God has saved us from sin. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. No, there's more than that. Our God has saved us from sin, and our God will save us from the coming wrath. It's promised. As we conclude today and the worship team returns, the final question I want to leave with you today to ponder is how have you been sharing the gospel message? How well have you been doing in sharing the gospel with people? You know, if you're not imitating anyone, then Houston, we have a problem. You should be imitating somebody. You should aspire and, and, and really pursue having a stronger faith in Jesus. And you need somebody in your life to sharpen you, like iron sharpens iron. You should be imitating someone as they imitate Jesus. And if you're not modeling anything to anyone, then we have another problem. We should be modeling something to the world and to other churches today. And if you're not known anywhere, boy, we have a big problem. You know, instead of silence, choose to make a sound today. Choose to make a sound that will reverberate, not just in your neighborhood or your workplace or your school, but around the world. Because God wants to use a church to bring about his mission in this world. You know, a sound that will enable the gospel to reverberate across this land because we all know Canada needs Jesus. Good Lord, Canada needs Jesus in this hour. The world needs Jesus. He is the hope of the world. And we know that to be true, but why should we hoard that hope to ourselves? We challenge you today, church family, to be like the Thessalonian church. This is a good church to emulate. They got a lot of things right. The church is not perfect. We all know that. But there, there's something about imitating the Thessalonians as they imitated Jesus. May we imitate Jesus. May other churches imitate us and imitate Jesus. Because Jesus is coming soon. Soon. I know that some of you don't believe that anymore. That's a key tenet of our faith. You got to get it back in your heart and in your system. You need to press a reset and allow all those central doctrines to just come back alive in you. Jesus is coming soon. Come on. Do you believe that today? Okay, we're getting better. Jesus is coming soon. Like you should wake up every day and think Jesus is coming soon. That should be a part of our conversations. That should be a part of the urgency of how we live our lives. Jesus is coming soon. That is why we're on mission today. That's why today matters. Jesus is coming soon. May we become imitators. May we become a model. And may our faith be known everywhere. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.